Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back to another episode of How the Grades Do It. You have your host here, Tyler Yules, but super excited for our guest today. We have a B2C sales leader, David Duncan. He is the VP of Sales at Spetness. Thank you for joining us, David. Awesome to be here, Tyler. You killed it. Got the name back. I, <laughs> I name appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we practiced that a couple of times before we jumped on with you guys. Um, exactly. Well, yeah, man, I'd love to hear about what you're up to now. And, um, you know, I, don't, I know you do a, quite a bit of consulting on the side as well. So I'd love to hear about that and, um, before we kind of jump into our topic today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now, uh, VPS Sales at Spetness, it's a B2C high-ticket coaching offer. Um, I was actually in the the tech space for about 10 years before joining this company. So I was kind of like doing a different type of sales process back then, selling tech. And then I kind of fell in love with high-ticket sales about three to four years ago. Kind of saw all the uh, Jeremy Miner stuff popping up on Instagram and Facebook. And I was like, wow, this this like new model of selling seems kind of way better than a lot of the i guess archaic pushy stuff that i'd grown up on um you know in my earlier sales years you know there's that kind of new age of selling so um i got the uh you know the the challenge really coming from b2b to b2c was really finding a company with that high velocity sales cycle in b2b there's not many that have like one to four day sales cycles that I could find that were purely inbound. So a lot of my background is like managing, you know, thousands of inbound leads and, you know, getting a, a lead to close, um, yeah. you know, six, 7% plus from those leads, which is why I called my consulting company lead to close. Right. So when I found the opportunity to transition to fitness, the, the model was very similar, you know, five, 6,000 leads a month, you know, trying to convert many of those into demos and deals. And, and ultimately, I, I made the jump into this industry and haven't really looked back since. So, yeah, I kind of been uh, running the team at Spetness for the last year. And then on the side, I kind of work with um, people, any, anyone in any industry, really. I've worked with lawyers, accountants, anyone that's got a high ticket offer. When I say high ticket, realistically, it's going to be like a four, five, six grand plus uh, offer, like one time or split payment. Yeah. And they have some like inbound lead funnel set up. and. You know, they just need help figuring out their closing process, objection handling. Maybe they haven't really run a team before. They don't know how to recruit sales reps or even coach or manage them. So that's kind of a bit about me and, and what I do. I love I love that. And I think that's a kind of a, a great intro for you. Man, you mentioned something early on in your intro about <clears throat> how you've kind of come about the methodology that you that you kind of come to and maybe some bail, some bad sales practice that you really learned learned early on in your career i'd love to hear like maybe some of those stories about some of the things that shape your methodology or approach now yeah well i think uh in the in the early stages of my career um when for example you got objections at the end the default reaction would be um discount it would, it would sure. be a very it'd be a very discount based culture now when you're selling a product, it is easier to get away with that. So you kind of can mask your own lack of sales skills in a way through discounting the product and people will buy it. Now, some people will buy it. More people than not. I know that discounts are talked about as kind of like you shouldn't use them, but especially in like low ticket SMB, like if you give like someone a couple hundred bucks off and they kind of need what you're selling, like when you're selling a product that you need, like people are going to buy it from someone. So discounts do matter more. Now, when you move into a different type of sale, whether that's B2C or B2B, and they don't necessarily need it, it's more of a maybe a want or the need isn't there, then you can give you can give it away for $1 and they still won't buy it because sure. you know, they don't need it. The cost of training the people, they haven't considered that. The implementation costs, the data storage switch over. There's too many other costs. So really, when I kind of switched my theory, I, I started reading books around the new age of sales, probably starting with The Challenger Sale and Gap Selling by Keenan, um, probably about eight years ago. 
and the challenger sale and then keenan's book came out i can't remember it was like five years ago or something but that talked a lot about the gap like focusing on the discovery portion before the closing portion a lot of closing a lot of old age sales books are all about the close like the puppy dog close the conditional close the alternative it's all about closing but sure. it doesn't really work in this kind of internet-based uh economy where people have so many options they can do all their research they don't want to be closed really uh they they can access the information themselves so i guess my mindset started shifting away from closing like focus on closing tactics to focus on building the gap understanding their current situation understanding their future situation understanding the negative consequences of where they're at right now preempting the objections that are going to come up down the sales cycle like i'm looking at other competitors i need to speak to my partner i'm not sure this is going to work for me and building all of that into the discovery portion in that first half an hour to kind of yeah. over come those fears. So I guess that's when I really started noticing the shift in our close rate uh, as a sales rep and my team was kind of shifting focus towards the front end of the call rather than just purely the back end of the call with like discounting and and price and pricing etc. No, I mean that what you're saying totally makes sense. Um one thing I have a question on though and I think it's something that we focus or we get hit with all the time in the B2B side is prop prospects um do not want to be taken through a discovery process and so like you know especially with prospects being uh better educated right like people have done their research maybe they're dealing with more than one competitor like they don't want to be taken through a really thoughtful discovery process because that does take a little bit of effort on both people's ends and so what are you telling your team to make sure that that does happen every time because i think it's crucial part of the sales yeah. process and how we build trust and how we can really become a consultant in that sense. Yeah. So that, and especially in SMB, like no one wants to go through that. Cause as soon as you hang up the phone, yeah. they'll get called from another company and just buy from them. The key is, is it has to be an Insta discovery demo. So I like to blend them both in because again, if you try and do a 25 minute discovery without showing anything, they're going to get bored pretty quickly. Right. So the, the key really is to ask important questions and then be showing some kind of proof that you can deliver that could be a couple of similar testimonial like um slides or it could be just a feature one feature of the software that straight away gets them interested and then hopping back off the screen share and talking so a lot of traditional sales calls are like discovery demo close and you know once they start the demo it's like the screen shares on, you know, that now we're in presentation mode. There's got to be a lot more pausing of the screen sharing. Let's talk about what we just talked about. Let's have a meaningful conversation of that. Yeah. Then let's show you something else, right? Rather than it be, it, it be so kind of like um, structured. Because um, that way, for example, like I want to ask all my discovery questions. Let's say I've got 10 really good questions I want to ask that's going to get me everything I need, like current state, future state, preemptive objection, handling, consequence, everything, right? If yeah. I ask those 10 in a row, they don't even know who I am yet. They're not going to trust me. So it's more like asking a couple, showing some kind of value, asking a couple, showing some value. The other the other thing I like to do is, and you know, we do this right now, my current role, when you open up the conversation with the prospect, the, the the calls the calls on their calendar they're like who is this person you have to straight away start off with like a status intro of why you qualify to even speak on this and who are you by the way um right so for example in my last role at epos now we hired a lot of people that worked in restaurants and they would sell the pos systems so yep. a big part of their first two minutes would be like look um this call is going to be mostly for you i'm going to ask you some questions but just a bit about me before we get going <laughs> I've worked in hospitality for five years. I was a bar manager at Bar Louie, you know, literally ran into all the different issues that you can think about of a POS system. So yeah, interrupt me as we go, but this call's mainly about you. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Boom, right? Same with this current company. We hire a lot of personal trainer, ex-personal trainers. You know, they're qualified to speak on nutrition and fitness. So I think that also combined with the kind of, conversational element of the demo and less presentation i mean really we only spend about 10 minutes showing the slides on the demo 
our sure. average Zoom, our average Zoom from our top reps that are closing at 40, 50% lasts about 50 minutes. So we know that 50, 55 minutes could go longer, but 50, 55 minutes is a good average Zoom length. And about 10 minutes of that is actually presenting like slides. Um, yeah. And, 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 it, and it's, it's a pause. Like we present the pricing slide that could be 15 minutes discussing pricing, right? Sure. When we're going over what the product includes or the social proof, we might hover over some particular before and after slides that are relevant to them and you know ask them what they're looking for compared to the results they're seeing in these before and afters so yeah to 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 answer your question it has to be looked at as um like an all-in-one process rather than in this day and age if you if you have too many kind of steps in the process you're going to lose them uh but again this is mainly for smb or velocity fast velocity sales cycles that are under you know 10 days or so yeah no that totally makes sense and you know, how important are guarantees in, the, in those type of offers that are being, you know, you're trying to get someone to make an immediate decision. The sales cycle is really short. Like, are guarantees a super part and a, important a part um, of getting someone to sign up or, or you think they're not as needed? I think, guarant- I think if you can offer a guarantee, some companies can offer better guarantees than others. You know, yeah. I know Holmosi talks a lot about this. You know, you've got to create an offer people would, you know, feel stupid saying no to we can't offer like in this current company like an absolute guarantee of a refund if you don't lose 10 pounds or something like that because again half of the the work is on them as well to deliver to show up right yeah. we do we offer a guarantee like if we don't find you a trainer in the first 10 days then we'll give you a refund um and we show them a lot of evidence and proof of thousands of clients were delivered for uh, in my last company, we offered we were elite, we were offering POS systems for zero upfront, so it wasn't really a guarantee. I guess yeah, sales does come down to risk aversion. Which so for example, if I'm paying zero for the system, then that is a lower risk. So it's not a guarantee per se, but it's a lower risk, right? If I'm showing yeah. you hundreds of case studies and saying we'll give you your money back if you can't find your trainer, it's it's not so much as a guarantee, but a risk. Like there are obviously though, if you can, if you can come up with an offer, like we will increase your sales to 50% or give you your money back. That is a, that is a very, you're going to, you're going to close a lot more than if you didn't have that offer. I mean, right. even for my own, even for my own company on the side, I tell people like, you know, the price is X, but if after three months you feel like we haven't, you haven't got any ROI, I'll work with you for free for another three months. I mean, that to some, I mean, most people take me up on that because yeah. there's a guarantee in there that they're going to get, there's, there's like a, um, you know, kind of some skin in the game sure. for me. So I, I, did, I think guarantees are very important. And the strongest you're off, the stronger your offer, the more closes you'll make, 100%. Um, right because you could just be able to win more people that were on the edge due to like a fear objection. Yeah. And like, um, I want to take actually some, a few steps back because I know we've been talking about discovery, but I'd love to hear about, you know, as soon as the lead comes in, like how much personalization should be before, um, actually how much personalization compared to automation do you need when you're talking about the inbound funnel? So the way that we have it set up right now, the personalization is around their name, their lead source. So like, hey, hey, Tyler, saw you kind right. of submitted your details on Thumbtack, right? So that straight away, there's two bits. Of, it's not like just a random, hello, we got your details, you know, could give us a call, right? So there's definitely personalizing right, right there that we do send another follow-up text that has before and after pictures, but we try, we split that between men and women. We have a separate scheduled text with before and after pictures for men and women. So there is, I guess, a, that, 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 that's not really automated. That has to be scheduled by the rep who takes the lead. We have rep leads. Okay. Um, the, we do have certain automations in place for when the call gets booked by the SDR or by the appointment center to the AE automations will go out 
from the AE that's like, hey, so-and-so booked a call for us, really excited to chat, um, send it, and then two hours later, they'll get another one, and on the day, they'll get a reminder. And those reminders are sent from their number, not some weird Calendly automation, because you can't reply to Calendly numbers. So right. the, those messages, that's actually kind of a custom API setup between our dialer, just call. And um, I think it's like make.com. So it's basically a, a, an automation. So I would say there's a fine, I, I like, I, I'd say 80, 20, our system is automated. Anything that can be automated will be, but there's yeah. cert, the, what we figured out is that about 90% of our deals close in the first four days of the lead. So the quality is super important. Like the quality of the sure. first touch, the court, both from, from the person calling, like we've, we've, we've in the past, we've used cheaper labor, foreign cheaper labor, for example, to do that first call. And, you know, that, that costs us a lot because they don't feel like some, you know, they at first they're a bit confused. They feel like, is this a trainer calling me or who is this? Like, so right. if that person, that person has to sound really good on the phone. And I don't mean from a conversational English perspective, I mean, like a tonality. I mean, they have to be able to ask questions, probe deeper. And so we didn't know this when I first started. So I was focused a lot on automation, but now I'm more focused on the quality of the interactions in those first four days. So I think you have to be very careful with inbound because there's so much volume coming in. And if you try and automate it too much, you won't stand out enough um, to kind of get the reply. No, that totally makes sense, right? You got to do things, I think, always a little bit different than your competitors out there to be able to stand apart. Uh, I think we're, this is this is fun, though, to, to dive a little bit deeper here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, ask away. Yeah. Have you found, you know, one thing that we think we found on the B2B side is, is it's been more difficult um, to close prospects, right? B- businesses are saying, hey, like, we're we're going to re- reduce our spending. And I'd love to hear if you've seen that from the consumer perspective. Like, are people more hesitant to spend that dollar um, than they were maybe three years ago? Yeah, I, I think especially if the product isn't, I mean, obviously, it's different from inbound and outbound. If we're talking about inbound B2B and inbound B2C, outbound B2B is going to be very difficult over this next couple of years unless your product is really solves like an ROI problem of probably cutting costs, right? There's certain products that will do really well. But if we're talking about inbound B2B and inbound B2C, what we're seeing is that you might have to loop around with like a lower commitment or a lower price, right? To get their foot in the door. A lot of this is about if there's less money going around, they're also they're coming from a scarce mindset, a scarcity mindset, and they don't want to take too much risk. That doesn't necessarily mean they won't buy your product. It just means like you might have to start them off on like a once a week and three month commitment. Um, And this is why even more important that, you know, the start of the conversation goes really well around why are they even doing this? If, if you don't do the discovery right in this market, right. then you are going to lose a lot more deals. But I still feel like whether it's a economic downturn or, you know, a booming market, if if your problem is big enough that you, you want to solve it, and especially when it comes to fitness, it is more emotional, which is, it does require a deeper level of emotional questions of, what would the impact be if you could get that? What if you don't do anything yeah. about this and that keeps happening? Like you have to be very, very more focused on the discovery end to build that reason why they should do it. And then they'll get started off with at least one of the plans. Like it could be a lower plan, but if you don't do any discovery and then just do discounting, you're probably not going to get anything unless it's like a really good product that the market needs. And this is why a lot of salespeople who think they're good it's 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 like if you look at investing in the last two years in the ball in the crypto market or the stock market a lot of people thought they're really good investors because they put like sure. 10 grand something and it just mooned but really you everyone was winning and doing well so it kind of 
in this in this market, it'll expose um, who's actually really good at selling and who really isn't, but also who's actually got a really good offer and product. Like you could be a level two person in a level yeah. 10 opportunity, as Alex Hormozzi says, and you could crush it. But if, sure. if you're a level 10 in a level two opportunity, you could lose, even though you're a level 10 person. So the goal as a salesperson in this market is to try and get into an industry or a market that or a product that is is going to crush these next few years, right? No, that, that so, totally makes sense. I think, that, I think, that, I think that's that's um, and to and to invest in your skills. Like if you're not investing in like up to date sales training or just relying on what your company's giving you, then you're also going to lose because. Yes. You know, a lot of people wait for a company to invest in them, in, into them, right, or into some sort of training, and and I think that's what we see more often than not. Like, what would be your advice to salespeople out there um, that are looking for some sort of sales training? Right, I think there's a lot of people out there that say they're the best, and right, they have some sort of training out there. But I think it's sometimes difficult to um, cut through the noise and find the the real people out there. Yeah, I mean. First of all, I'd be looking at my sales team. If I was a sales rep and I just joined yeah. a company, I'd be looking at the top sales reps, offering to take them out for lunch or sending them some, paying for their time, something to get some Zoom calls with them. The problem is a lot of sales reps don't really know why they're good. Some of them do, but a lot of them are like, I don't know. I just have a process, right? Sure. So obviously, if if they've got a process, they've got a script that you can get off them, then and get their recordings, then that's a good right. place to start. Do pay them to mentor you. That's also a good place to start. They're not going to do it for free. No one, people expect things for free and it. You're just not going to get good quality. Back. You got to find win-win relationships. The only way you're going to find a mentor is in that way, right? Whether it's monetary, monetary gain or whether it's another means of, of compensation, right? It's got to be a win-win. Yeah. So that that's the first place is look inward. And then if, there's no one really crushing in your company or there's no one really you aspire to be. I mean, LinkedIn's a great resource for, there's, there's a lot of people that are popping up on LinkedIn that, you know, are selling, I guess, courses per se or, or books. Sure. Honestly, um, I, you know, if, if you look enough over time, you'll start seeing the people that are like, wow, that, that person's really good. Like I'm going to follow him. And I don't think an ebook's going to solve your problems or a two-hour course, but reach out, do some. Cons- I, I like one-on-one consulting calls or group. There's, there's there's a lot of sales training programs out there. Like Jeremy Miner does a lot of sales training. Um, you know, uh, there, there's different programs out there, right? Where you can pay for the course, then you get role-playing weekly. You get mentorship, like inner circle mentorship. Like there is there is education out there available. Um, but you know, that, that, that's thousands of dollars, right? If you just want to start small, basic YouTube and, you know, your best reps calls, but yeah, you know, I, I think, um, the information is available and like you said, to break through the noise and see who's really cutting it. It's about, I, I would find someone who's kind of like currently doing the job or currently selling and learn from them rather than someone who hasn't sold in a while. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's spot on. I see a lot of a lot of people. The problem is isn't really like the knowledge is out there, but the application of the knowledge, people don't really practice. You know, once they learn it, they'll learn it, and then it's like, well, how often are you role playing? How often are you listen back to your calls? Really listening back to how you handle that objection, listening to the best reps. If you've got something like Gong, like we do, or any kind of cool listening technology that that is available to you. So yeah, like, you have to be able to go out there and do it. How do you, um, I'd love to hear from like a, a, a coaching perspective, right? Like finding commonalities of things that are, uh, how we can all improve. Like, are there different ways that you do that on a, on a, on a weekly basis with a team? And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think selling just in our current economics, status like it's sometimes difficult and i think selling has always been difficult right but 
I'd love to hear about how you're keeping the team motivated um, and, and, you know, making sure you're building the culture of, of high performance. Yeah. So I think coaching and training is a, is a big part of motivation. I think people think motivation is just spiffs and, and money and, and things like that, but that's kind of like definitely the reward from the hard work. Like it's, it's motivating in more of an instant, but the problem is if, if you're struggling as a rep and you don't know what you're doing wrong, like you need to have, you need to have a good coach around you. And sometimes you'll get reps that were really good and then they're now they're struggling. So if you don't know, sure. you're not coaching them, then they're just going to slump mm-hmm. even further. So having a good frame, first of all, we have a really good framework for coaching and then I'll dig into like how we actually coach. So we do role playing every day at 11 a.m. for an hour. Usually that's ran by either the manager or the senior reps of the team. And that's just picking apart uh, objections um, and, you know, kind of like tough bits that people found out the previous day. Hey, look, I really struggled with this. Can we just, how does everyone else handle this? So now you're speaking to the best reps on the team and everyone's sharing and, and things like that. So that's really good. And also just for letting off steam, like that's a really good way to get all the reps together and, just reset and be like, right, yeah, that was shit, but let's, you know, kind of rebuild that. Sure. Uh, I'm a big believer in scripting. A lot of people are like, well, you can't build it. You don't want to use a script. It's too scripted. Like, you need a structure. When I say a script, I mean, ask these questions. It doesn't mean you can't ask a, another probing question or, you know, another clarifying question after. It just means that like, these are the questions you want to ask. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is how you handle this objection. These are all the objections you're going to get. This is how you handle it. I mean, if I'm a new rep coming into the team and I don't have any of that, then how am I going to get better, right? So right. I, I think when you're when you when you're scaling a team at this size, like 10, 20 plus reps, you need a script. Then you need a training system of you know a schedule, right? I have my daily role playing. I have um, twice a week we're reviewing calls as a team. Right here's let's listen, let's break it down. Okay, so there's there's coaching going on every day in addition to Gong, which we use, which is a call recording technology that listens to every Zoom, transcribes it, and then I can search keywords and search how our best reps are overcoming certain objections. And we took it a one step further where in Gong, what you can do is add trackers. So you can add a tracker. We've added, I've added trackers that correlate to the categories of the script. So I have current state questions, future state questions, consequence questions, preemptive partner questions. So basically my 15 categories that mirror the categories of the script. And then the, the AI model is clever enough. You can train it. It takes about an hour per tracker to train. It will show you like 25 questions in a row that have come up on calls and it will be like is this related to this tracker you'll be like yes no yes no yeah so it can spit out at the once you've trained all of the trackers i can see my best reps what percentage of calls are they doing future state questions on i can then click that and i see 10 instances of future state questions i've asked so to give a new rep or someone who struggled oh i'm really struggling with you know trapping or looping, or the think about it objection. I can pull up 10 examples of how to handle that in a minute. How long would that take for a regular team to be able to do that? They probably wouldn't be able to do that. They'd just be like, go and listen to this whole 60-minute Zoom of Chris. He's our best closer. That's not helpful to anyone. People learn better by chunking the information down into like small segments. I learned that from, there's a book called The Talent Code. And it, it studied the best way that people learn, like from every type of sport, hobby, anything, right? Yeah. And it's called chunking. You have to, like one page at a time, you master that, you role play, you repetition that um, until it's in your head, then you move on. You should be able to do it fast, slow, backwards, memorized. So a lot of it in, um, especially in music, like top violinists or musicians you know they'll learn one one page of sheet music at a time and they'll just sure. completely smash that until until they memorize it then onto the next page so 
you have to know how to coach as well. I think, I think that's key. And you can't coach if you don't have a script because it's kind of like the sheet music. Like it's, it's like you watching a violinist. <laughs> yeah. Just go do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Listen. I think a lot of people out there would say to you, right? Like scripts are bad, right? Like, and, but to your point, I think really right, it keeps a structure. And so like, how important is it, especially when you have a new rep to for them to stick to the script rather than like create the script and like kind of make it their own. So, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because we do have one rep here that when I run his trackers through Gong, and he's a top rep as well, he doesn't follow the script at all. It doesn't, and he's somehow <laughs> the same closer. So it's kind of like, I don't know how he's good. Like from a, from a, I know how he's good because he's very good from a rapport building. Sure. Relationship building and tonality, which is also very important. But what I'm saying is that most people can't replicate that. Yeah. So it's not like there's one. It's not like you shouldn't. You should always use a script for the rest of your life. Like right now, you're probably not using a script. But like when you did your first podcast, you probably had some kind of structure. So I feel like people they need a script to get going, and then once they've kind of got hundred deals or something like that they probably won't use the script again because they've just built so much kind of experience and they've, they're passionate. They've got the tonality down. They kind of done this a hundred times before. So sure. I think that's why sometimes people get confused of when they're saying scripts are bad. It's because they now don't use a script, but they don't really remember what it was like when they were actually in their first day in sales. I think that's probably a fair assessment, right? We don't, they don't remember what it was like to not have, five to 10 years experience exactly. in that industry and not have been day one trying to figure shit yeah. out. Um, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. you, know, you know, and I know you're in real estate as well. And, and Grant Cordone, one of the things he says is like, don't, don't buy small, buy, buy a big multifamily as your first deal. Don't start small. <laughs> like, you, start, you literally bought like your house in the 1980s. And that was actually one of your most profitable deals ever. Yeah. And, now he's actually changed his tune on it. He's like, oh, they've bought out this 5% down multifamily loan. You should house hack. You should buy a house and live in it. Like, he's literally like, yeah, like that's obviously the thing to do. Because I think sometimes when these people get so big, they forget really what it was like when they had zero experience. Yeah. And honestly, the people that are saying don't use a script, honestly, I don't think are current sales leaders or managers at all because. I'd love to see them train someone and watch how they do that without any kind of structure and script. Um, honestly, I think the only way that you can do that, right, is on a one-on-one -on -one basis, right? So you're, you're not able to scale and hire. You're not able to yeah. hire and scale. You're going to have to sit with somebody on a one-on-one -on -one basis yeah. and then correct them every time. But even, yeah, I, I don't get it. Even, in, even actors have a script, right? Anthony sure. Hopkins, probably one of the best actors, you know, in the world. like. Yeah, he just wings that next movie, doesn't he? He just comes in and just wings. <laughs> he has a script. Yeah. Now he once he knows the script, he applies his own flair, his own tonality, his emotions. He might even go off script, right? But like, he's not just day one starting with zero structure. So I definitely think you need a script, especially if you are running. Um, a higher velocity sales cycle with a less experienced team. If I'm hiring enterprise level AEs that have 10 years experience yeah. and they're moving over from like, let's say I work in a POS space, I've moved companies, then that guy probably doesn't need a script. Right. Yeah. Because he's, he's had 10 years experience and he's selling in the same industry. But if you moved industry, he might need some kind of script or structure. Maybe some. Yeah. And I think, right, like, it, it's a, us as sales leaders, like, we're trying to find commonalities with, between the teams. And it's easier when everyone does have a script and somewhat follows a somewhat of a similar structure because then we can know when something breaks. When mm -hmm. something's not working, when we're not converting at the same level, when we're not uh, closing the same amount of deals or the forecasts are off, so it's our job to go in and figure out why. Yeah. And it makes it a lot easier if everybody's selling the same exact way, using the same sort of um, discovery questions, because maybe a discovery question has fallen off. Maybe it's not relevant anymore. 
but hopefully we're redefining our ICP enough um, where that's not the case. Well, that, that again, that's why with the trackers in Gong, it will show you sure 70% of so-and-so's calls contain, contain future state questions, and it will show you the tracking over time. So first thing, if I see one of my best reps start non-performing, I'll go into every individual tracker and see which one's fallen off, if any. Probably they have. Yeah. That's it's nothing. Something's changed, right? How am I going to do that if I have no script, no call recording technology? Well, I'm just going to listen to like random calls and hopefully find a pattern. And that's what I think people in this role don't understand is that it, everything is everything is data. Like it's not just like sure. numbers, inputs of like, well, you need number of dials, connects. You need to understand their call qualities as well and specifically the data in the call. And not a lot of people look at it as scientifically as that. They just look at, well, his close rate's down, like just get better at closing or let me yeah. listen to two, let me just listen to the last two demos. Like how's that even going to tell you anything? You know, you'd have to spend a hundred hours listening to calls from his best month, from his current month, see what's dropped off and figure out patterns. Or I could just check the trackers and see, yeah, you're not asking any like current and future state questions. You're literally just jumping straight into the presentation or you're not asking any closing questions. You're literally just letting them off the phone and following up. So what would you say to to people out there that um, don't have that technology in place? Like, is it like, hey, go out and go out and acquire a certain sort of technology so that you can have that tracking in place currently? Because you're, I don't think you can do yourself justice if you don't have it. Yeah. So. It, Silla, so you either buy with you, 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 you either buy quality in, or if you don't have like unlimited budgets to buy better reps, basically in, like in terms of people that you know have like the experience, you're buying the experience in, or you have to train, right? Sure. And it's very hard to find someone who actually comes across like they have the experience and they're instantly really good. Like, yes, you can do it, but maybe like one rep, but trying to scale a team like you're gonna have to train them so either way you have to train them you have to figure it out you you're gonna pay in either time or money so stop the technology is like 150 bucks a month per user i mean you're paying that or you're paying your manager 50 bucks an hour to listen to 10 calls to get the same level of output as a month of of that seat cost would be right sure I think it's, I think it's, I don't know, honestly, because I've, I've operated a team under both with, with and without technology like that. Um, it's all good until things start going wrong and you don't know what to, what the problem is. Right. And, you know, obviously there's only a certain amount you can tell from the KPIs. Like if your close rate is down, if that is where your issue is, and I've got to tell you your problem, like, how am I going to do that? Right. If it's a simple sure. issue, like, oh yeah, you're you're not doing enough demos. You need to make more calls to get more demos in. Like, okay, I don't need the technology for that. Right. Like, okay. But if you're not getting if your demos aren't showing up or you know, your demos aren't closing, how do I really assess that? So I think what companies do is they focus then on like, well, that person, we just need to replace him. Um yeah. and it's and it's really like they don't know what to do or how to coach them to be better. And so, I mean, it, it's messy. And then they have no script. And <laughs> imagine, yeah, I don't know. Imagine you have zero script, zero technology. You're trying to, I, I think that's why a lot of companies stall. Or they, yeah. or they, just, or they just hit like 20% close rate and then they'll just add on more reps at that. Like, honestly, I don't know how you'd scale a, a, a really high-performing team without uh, without a script and technology coaching structure like, i don't know how you do it yeah because it'd require too much too much manual work from from an exceptional leader manager as well you'd have to find someone exceptionally good at managing to be able to diagnose patterns or find the technology um, sure sure so yeah that's probably yeah. and like interestingly in the high ticket space there are that's actually a big gap right now i see is that there's a lot of companies that have really good closers a team of really good high ticket closers but the the, the management side or the the leadership side is a bit behind b2b 
it's not as like, I see a lot of really good B2B sales leaders on LinkedIn that yeah. are in like B2B space, right? You see less of that in the B2C space. Maybe that's why, maybe they just track, maybe they transition from there to there or the mon- there's not enough money in the B2C. I don't know, but I, I feel like there's all the top sales leaders that I follow are like in B2B. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, right? Because maybe people move from a B2C, like if they start in B2C, I think that's where a lot of people start is like B2C sales and then they transition to B2B. Um, And that's really where they make their name and probably, you know, they're not, they're not going to then come back and coach. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, that's the challenge is that you lose a lot of the talent from the B2C space because they, for the B2B companies or... You know, they go for the stock valuations, they go for equity, they they start going for up mid-market enterprise. Um, so I feel like if you're a company that does B2, like SMB mid-market enterprise, you don't have that problem because the leadership will scale up within the company and you'll have top leaders who are like managing enterprise, but that filters down. But then if you're sure. in like purely a B2C space, where you don't offer like big deals per se, you're just like high ticket five to 15 K deals. Then there is a, there is probably a knowledge gap between the leadership level of that compared to like where you see a lot of these top guys on LinkedIn working guys and girls, you know, yeah. work for top B2B companies. Um, so yeah, I think um, also I don't really see a lot of like high ticket, stuff on LinkedIn. It's more on Facebook. Um, and there's a lot of profitable B2C companies out there that are selling information technology products. I think courses, information technology, like even sales training stuff, is a very profitable industry. High net margins. And ed- the educational industry, I believe, over the next five years will be completely revolutionized compared to what you're seeing right now. A lot of people already are like sacking off college, university, You've got people that are like 19, 20 years old, just earning 10, 20, 30K a month being salespeople, right? As high ticket closers. Yeah. And I think you'll see, I think, I think you'll see a B2C kind of revolution in the info um, knowledge space and a decline in some of the more traditional B2B industries, actually. Um, Because the margins are so good in like the info stuff, as you know, like. It's crazy. Yeah, anytime you're in some sort of that tech, in any any of the tech, right? Like it's the uh, the margins are crazy, which is why there's a lot of, a lot of still people get paid a lot of money. Which we're not complaining about. <laughs> I'd love to hear, like, as you're looking for really successful team members, like, are there different qualities that you're looking for, and then um, and do those somewhat like remain true across like your career? Where you, Found like, hey, these are the most successful high ticket closers or like or BSC salespeople that you've worked with. I think the first thing we look for, and I didn't, I kind of mentioned this in my last company, is like this the experience and passion for the product or the industry. Um, you know, I love that you say that. Right? You got to find commonality with your sellers. Yeah. So, so for you to find. Or with your prospect, right? And so for you to find sellers that are passionate about that, they automatically have the commonality and kudos to you for coming up with that. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. I mean, otherwise, like that's what I'm saying. You hire ex servers, you hire bartenders, you hire um obviously personal trainers in the current role. Yeah. Whatever you're selling, that should be a prereq. You want you want really people that, you know, at least are it's not that they have to be passionate about a lot of people weren't passionate about a POS system, but they were passionate yeah. about the hospitality industry or they could relate to the person by talking about problems in the industry. It wasn't like right. the whole conversation was always talked about the product. It was actually talked more about, oh, yeah, remember we had people stealing out of our till or, oh, yeah, we have to kind of <laughs> home early. So it's actually more of a commonality around the industry rather than the product, right? Yeah, so absolutely. So personal trainers. Um, we're selling personal training, but you know, a lot of the conversations would would come across like you know this person's experience in personal training. Even though they're right. not the ones that are actually selling themselves as a personal trainer, we're selling in a 
uh, another train, right? So sure. knowing how to speak to people in that industry is very key. Um, I think obviously we touched on this, like coachability and willing to invest in yourself. I always ask people, what was the last, you know, how much have you spent on yourself in developing yourself in the last year? Like books, courses, mentors. I want to see that they're actively investing in themselves in sales as well. Sure. That's their craft. It depends, obviously, what role we're hiring for. I'm talking about if we're hiring someone to come in as a closer, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. If they're coming in as like an appointment setter, you know, they could have watched a bit of YouTube and a couple of books. But as a closer, <laughs> I'm really looking for like that next level of investability. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for an internal drive. Like what do I, I, I can't motivate people that can't be motivated. Right. So you, you really understand that once you've done like five or six so years in sales leadership, because the first few years is spent trying to push people, micromanaging them, like trying to get people to do what you want. And honestly, if they're not motivated, if their why isn't big enough to, yeah. to do it, they're not going to do it. Whatever you throw at them, stick or carrot. So I like I like understanding what their drive is. Like they have to be wanting to earn six figures because that kind of first of all that tells me that their 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 drive is is big enough to match some of the drive we've got on the team currently. And I don't want to be recruiting lower than what I have. Sure. That's a big I always want to recruit better than what I have. So if I'm looking at the top four or five reps on the team. I'm comparing this interview to them. Um, so I'm using that as a bet rather than like, we just need someone else for the team. Right. Yeah. I'm making, I'm asking them how they'd spend the money, like specifically why they want to earn six figures. Like rather than someone just says, yeah, I want to earn six figures. I really want to understand, like, is that just you just saying that? Or have you really thought about this? Like, what are your specific goals? Um, and then this is a big one. You I know, I know we kind of touched on this, but they ha like what I figured out with closers is they have to have come from a similar sales cycle. Now, if you are selling one to four day Zoom closes, I've never hired someone. I can't remember. And maybe it's rare that someone's come from enterprise, mid-market, even face-to-face, -face, and they've done zero Zoom ever, zero Zoom or zero Zoom. Yeah. Like, it's such a transition from the sales cycle. It rarely works. So maybe the face-to-face -to, -face to Zoom might be okay. But remember, a lot of inside sales and high ticket and inside sales in general is on the phone. You've got to call the person. Sure. So if you have zero phone experience and you're not used to that rejection or the pushback on the phone because you relied on your relationship skills and your kind of like body language in person, you are in for a, a, a big surprise. So definitely having similar sales cycle experience is very key. Yeah. I would say those are like the top five things I look for. Where where do like can people go to get better at like their tonality and just being better on the phone? Because I think that's a I think it's a, a an amazing skill that's underutilized. Um, just in yeah. everyday sales you have to listen to you have to listen to people who are, who are doing it like i'll listen to a lot of the jeremy minor stuff yeah he'll role play himself he'll kind of like you even like you look at the instagram or youtube or facebook videos there'll be role playing involved in that and just listen to how they do tonality and then you try and mirror it basically Absolutely. there isn't really yeah. like there isn't like the way that i look at tonality like we'll use three, I'll use three types of tonality throughout my sales presentation. I'll use like a really, uh, like a, like a curiosity, high pitched inflection tone when I'm asking discovery questions like, Oh, uh, what, what, what kind of piqued your interest around that? Then sure. when I make a statement in the presentation, I'm making a certainty tone, like this is going to get you results, right? Or this is how it's worked for X, Y, Z. Right. And then if I'm getting an objection, I'm using more of a a white flag, reasonable man. So like, yeah, yeah, not a problem at all. Um, definitely can call you back. So, you know, there's those are the three different types of tones that I use. And I've just listened to them 
I just listen to other people and how they how they say it, and that's how I get the tone. And then when yeah. I'm in the right part of the presentation, or I get certain things, I know and I just apply which tone to the situation. So if I'm in the discovery phase, like I'm just keeping that curiosity tone. If I'm in the presentation stage, I'm switching to the certainty. And if I'm in, if I'm in objection handling, which I'm going to get on most of the calls, then I'm immediately getting ready to switch my tone to like the non-defensive, reasonable man, like hands up in the air, like, no, no, it's, it's fine. Not from right. Sure. And a lot of people don't do that. They'll keep the same tone throughout. And therefore, sure. when they get the objection phase, it sounds really defensive. Or if they're in the presentation phase, it sounds not sure. Or in the discovery phase it sounds too invasive sounds yeah. like so uh yeah what are you uh what are you looking to get out of today's cool then do you know you what know, i mean it's i think way rather than yeah. hey what kind of piqued your interest and uh you know what made you reach out to us yeah you know i think so often um we don't know what we're doing unless we see ourselves run it back and so i think that's probably another reason why it's so important to have a technology in place um, similar to what we we're talking about, man. I've got one last question for you. Um, two last questions for you. Where can people find you? Um, where where can people follow with you after this if they want to connect with you? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, my name David Duncan, or and then I have a, a website leadtoclose.us. I have a newsletter that goes out every week. Uh, I pretty much share a lot of my playbooks, videos, proof on there. I kind of do it as a side side project anyway. I mean, obviously, I'm in the trenches every day, so you can just reach out to me via LinkedIn if you want to if you want to learn more. Love it. And and last question for you, David, man, how do you want people to remember you when you when you leave this life? Oh wow, that is a great question. Um, I honestly. I, I feel like whenever I've left a job, like the people that were there in my last company were who have always remembered how much of an impact I had on their career, or their earning potential or their life in general, like as a, as a leader. So yeah, just leaving like, like trying to leave each person with a lasting impression of, of how to, how to become better, how to provide for their family, how to, how to be a better person. Like, um, you know, especially from a sales perspective, but yeah, I honestly, I don't think I've reached my full potential yet. So I can't answer, I can only answer that question as, as I am now, I feel like I've still got a different chapter of my life, which I haven't uh, started yet, but yeah, definitely want people to feel like I made a lasting impact and help them out. Uh, Cause a lot of, a lot of the top reps that I've worked with have gone on to really good, better things. And some of these people were just minimum wage or bartenders before they met me. So definitely sure. like feel like i've had an impact on them no i love that um and i can feel that from our conversations man david this has been super fun um i'm i'm sure a ton of people are gonna get a lot out of this and this is another episode of how the grades do it